0: Good morning i'm guessing there's not a sermon intro video (laughs) I, I, i thought well should i stand here a moment i'm not quite sure because i didn't i didn't ask anybody so that's my fault but uh good morning how are you guys all right kidmo kids uh you can be dismissed ready to head over to your programming if you're a guest just want to let you know that we have special programming for for the the kids that are in second through fifth grade they have a a great lesson, great volunteers over there that it's on their level because in here it's often very, we have a lot of uh, very graphic adult content. No, just kidding. But that's a sure way to get people to take their kids to Kidmo, isn't it? <laughs> but good morning. Glad you guys are here and braved the, the final weekend of the what seems to be two-week-long 4th of July celebration. Uh, how many of you have they been shooting fireworks at your house since last Saturday? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of, it's an ongoing thing in our community. It seems that they just, you know, it starts and there. They may shoot them to New Year's in our community. I don't know. People are like, you shouldn't shoot them except between dark and 1130 on on the 4th of July night. And I'm thinking, you guys don't live anywhere near us, do you? It's not the way it works around here. But good to see you guys. This morning, we're going to continue in our story of parables. How many of you remember parables from when you were a child, Maybe. A lot of our children's content, we base on the teaching from the parables and the things that they teach because they teach some basic truths. But as Mark said when we started the introduction to this series, there are things that are more than the basic truths that are just lying on the surface of those parables. So we want to dig a little deeper into those as we go along. How um, I many you know the story of the Good Samaritan? You know, people that don't even go to church hear the story of the Good Samaritan, don't they? Um... Isn't there even a campground, isn't it? Good Sam's campground. Have you ever seen that good Sam? He's got the logo and he's got the little halo over his head. You know, he's a good guy. We think of Samaritans as good people. That's the, you know, that's the guys in the Bible that really help folks out. And we're going to see today that there's a little more truth in that. So let's start with the familiar part of the story, okay? In Luke chapter 10 is where the story is based that we're talking about today. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead, okay? There were areas around Jerusalem that were dangerous. This would be like walking through the hood in downtown Chattanooga at night. You guys get my drift? It was not a good place necessarily. You could get robbed, mugged, beaten, and stripped of your clothing and valuables. That's what this man's done. He's fallen into trouble, now, we're going to skip a little of the story that I want to come back to. But just the part that this is the part we always focus on this is about the Samaritan in Luke 10, 33. It says, but a, or a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That is the familiar story of the Good Samaritan that we all know and love. It's a great story. It's a story about having compassion on someone you don't even know. It's about not only having compassion. You know, he didn't go and wait for somebody else to take care of this man. He took personal responsibility. And there's a difference there. Our society's a little different now. You know, if you saw someone that had been beaten and robbed, would you take them? Try and best, you know, go over here to the to the local Walgreens or, or Rite Aid or whatever that's on every corner in Chattanooga. Get you some Band-Aids and bandages and some ointment some to put on their wounds. Bandage them up. And then take them over here and check them into the hotel. Make sure they're okay. And then tell the guy at the desk, leave him your credit card number. See if he needs to stay an extra night or needs anything else, you know, take care of him. How many of you would do that? If there's not a hospital? Yeah, you know, we, you know. What would we do in this situation? It's something we don't normally face as, as you know, folks in Chattanooga, Tennessee area. That's not something we run across. There, we have social systems and services in place to take. You could, at the very least, take them and drop them off at the hospital. The hospital will take them in and take care of them. It doesn't matter if they've got insurance, whatever. It's an emergency. Those people will get taken care of. This was not the case in Jerusalem. You know, the people were kind of on their own and they needed some help. And this this man, the Samaritan, saw someone who had been robbed and beaten and, and everything he owned was taken from him. And he not only had compassion on him and was taking care of him, he went an extra step to make sure that his needs were met for that day and in the near future. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's the basic story we all know and love. It's It's a great story, you know. But many times, when teaching the story of the Good Samaritan, the focus is just on showing kindness to strangers in need. It's admirable, but this parable is so much deeper than that. It's not just about being good to people we don't know. It's not about showing compassion and going the extra mile. There are so many things that we overlook if we don't look at the, at the deeper meaning of it. First of all, the first thing I want us to look at is, what is the significance of it being a Samaritan? Who are those people? Who were they? What, what's the significance of this? You know, in Scripture, when names, places, people groups are named like this, there's significance to it. It's not that it just happened to be colorful detail that the writer wanted to throw in, like, you know, the guy was from Saudi and he helped the guy down here downtown. That's not the way it works. There was a significance to who the Samaritans were in the culture and that's one of the things we have to understand when we're, we're reading Scripture, a lot of us are not very good at it. We don't go to a little deeper meeting. We don't look at the, the story around it. We don't look at it in historical context of what was going on there. We just read, there's the Samaritan. And now for us, we've read it so many times, being a good Samaritan is synonymous with being a good person that helps strangers. That's not who the Samaritans were. That had nothing to do with this story in the way that Jesus was telling it. So who were the Samaritans? Let's get some historical context to this. The people of Israel had been driven from their land by the Assyrians. The king of Assyria then sent outsiders to occupy the land, and they intermarried with the Israelite population that remained in the land. The people began worshiping foreign gods, and a problem soon came from this when lions began eating the people of the land. That's not a story we typically hear these days, is it? That's not something that's very relatable to us. But what had happened is the Assyrians had come and conquered Israel. As usual, Israel had done something that took them out of God's protection. They weren't obeying God as they should. God allowed the Assyrians to to attack and take his chosen people out of their land. So the king of Assyria, you know, he's, he's doing conquest. It's like almost like if any of you do any gaming or anything where you're conquering different lands and things. And that's what the king of Assyria is doing. He was conquering these lands, pulling the native indigenous people out and putting his own people in to seed the population of those lands. And that's what he had done. Well, he did that and this problem arises. Let's look what scripture says about what the problem was. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of their priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So the king of Assyria is not necessarily a follower of the true God, okay? If anything, it was probably based more on superstition of what had happened. We took these people out of their land. We've angered the gods or god of the land, so we need to do something to appease the god of the land and make sure that the lions quit killing our people. Because that's an asset. That's a resource to a king. If he's got people in this country, people are resources. If your resources are being eaten by lions, you want to protect them. So his most logical conclusion is his advisors tell him, "Well, it's because their gods are angered. So, you know, get you get you one of their priests and send him back there and let him teach the people." Okay, this would have had a much better meaning had it had the story been, well, the king repented of his ways and realized that he had angered the one true God and he wanted to establish the true religion in the nation. It had nothing to do with it. He just wanted to make sure his resources were protected and not being eaten by lions. So. He goes, he does this, but the king's plan only partially works. You know, a lot of our plans don't work when we involve God in them because we don't involve him in the right way. Y'all know what I'm talking about there? We use God as just kind of a good luck charm. He's the guy that answers our needs. He takes care of things when we're in a desperate situation and need them. So, yeah, there is that problem. (coughs) Excuse me. So here's what happened. But every nation still made gods of its own, and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. Going on in 2 Kings chapter 17, so these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, and so they do to this day. So here's what happened in Samaria. The Assyrians came in. They drove the people out. wine started killing everybody there. They said, well, we need our good luck charm back. Let's put their God's priests back in the land, and he'll teach them how to act, and God will be cool with all this. Well, what they did was they, they set up a corrupted religious system. They set up a, a system where not only were their people not worshiping the true God, God's people discontinued worshiping him and added other things to worship to it, okay? Something that we don't think a lot about here today, we don't have things where people worship multiple gods because they don't identify them as gods. Get where I'm going with this? We worship things besides the true God because we put things in front of God. It might be money, it might be job, it might be country, it might be politics, it could be anything. Those things that you put in front of God And you serve more than you serve him or your God. And that's something we don't think about as a people these days. I saw a very good point on something the other day. It said that if you open version on your phone as many times as you do Facebook a day, you'd be a religious genius. And I hadn't thought about that. I mean, how many of you, it's very easy to check Facebook and say, hey, what's going on here? What, what's the loves doing on vacation out there in California? Hey, there's, there, there they are. What's going on out there? And you know, check and see what's going on. How many of you did that and said, What wonder what God's telling me today? I'm guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. And that's because we don't have the right priorities sometimes. So that's what's happened to the children of Israel. They have come. Their priorities have gotten out of whack. Their land, they've been conquered. half you know, More than half their people have been dispersed from their land and moved elsewhere. These people have moved in. We've got your priest back. But these people still want to you know, worship the gods that they grew up with. So they've got this crazy system. And the resulting Samaritans were considered half-breeds and were universally despised by the Jews. Okay? So let's, let's keep remembering as we go back to the story of the Good Samaritan. This is set in a Jewish teaching context. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a Jew. He is speaking to a Jewish person that we're going to see here in just a moment. So we need to realize, first off, when you say the word Samaritan to a Jew, that is the most despised person they can think of. That is somebody they have no respect for. They don't want anything to do with it. They feel that that person has polluted the true worship of the true God, and they want nothing to do with them, And I don't know if there's a word strong enough to describe how much they despise these people. But let's go back and pick up and look at the Samaritan story again. Go back to the very beginning. And behold, a lawyer. Well, right there after some of my recent dealings with lawyers is I have a negative reaction to this entire passage of Scripture now because behold, a lawyer. When you hear lawyer, does anything positive come to your mind and it's not that they're bad people. You may need a lawyer to represent you when you've been accused of something you didn't do one day, and they're very valuable to have. But in our society, that's not who lawyers are. In a and need a check, who do you call? Somebody know the number? 877-9800. 877-9800. You know, that's what you do when you need a lawyer. You call him up. But you know what? He's not even licensed to practice law in the state of Tennessee. He's a what? He's an Alabama lawyer. Uh, yeah, see? You can't use this guy. He's a lawyer. That is not the type of lawyer Jesus is talking about in the parable. A lawyer was a scholar of the religious law. Think of him more like a sem- seminary professor that knows, knows what the religion is about. So let's get that straight first. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, scene. Of course, maybe he has more in, in common with lawyers than we think. He's going to put Jesus to a test. So he's taking somebody that's a religious leader of the day, and he's going to test him and say, you know, I want to, I got a, I've got a tricky question for you. It's, it's like you often see in town halls and stuff. There's always that one person in the audience that's going to ask the question you do not want to answer, and they came just for that purpose. That's what this guy has done. He has come trying to trip Jesus up, and he has a question that he wants to try and see what Jesus' answer is going to be. So he says teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus was a master at this. I don't know if you've noticed this or Mark. I don't think he mentions this in the first teaching of the parables. If you're asking Jesus a question, he invariably replies with another question. He says, well, what do you think it is? What do you think is written in the law? How do you read it? So the law your answers. He says, well, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's a great answer, isn't it? That's a, you know, that's one of our, our phrases here that drives us as a church is love God, love people. That's what this, this is saying. You need to love and respect God. You need to love and respect people. So he got the, that part of the answer right. And Jesus said to him, you've answered this correctly. Do this and you'll live. Been fine. Sometimes lawyers don't know when to shut up. They don't know when they've won the case. This guy just digs the hole deeper for him, he says. He says, but desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Uh-oh. So, being a good lawyer, he is looking for a loophole. He's trying to figure out, how do I get out of loving people because I have neighbors that I don't like. My good friend and neighbor sitting here this morning. He'll know what I mean by that. <laughs> We've actually been teasing each other out in the lobby this morning about his crazy neighbor. You know, we have, I love Dale and Zach and Norma being my neighbors. It's great, but you know, have you ever had neighbors you don't like? Have you ever had neighbors that shoot off fireworks at 1 a.m. all week long? Some of you may have that experience, you know. I had a friend this week tell me about that. He's he's in his neighborhood now, first of all, his dogs are going nuts. They don't like fireworks. They're tearing the house down. They're scratching the door. They're barking, whining, going on and on. He said, I have had enough. It's 1 a.m. And he's a rather intimidating guy, especially if you only see him in the dark in his truck. It's kind of scary. He's got, you know, it looks like a guy, an evil guy from Duck Dynasty. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got the big beard, but he's really mean looking. So he goes out, he goes cruising the neighborhood to see who's shooting the fireworks. He rolls down the window of the truck, and he just goes like this and glares out him, going. Drives on. I'm not sure that he loved his neighbor at that point in time. You, know, you, you understand that? There are neighbors that are unlovable. There are neighbors that you would just assume weren't, have that weren't your neighbors because of all the things that go on with them. So this lawyer is thinking, you know, that neighbor thing is kind of loosely defined. Let's try and pin Jesus down a little bit and get him to say, because I know what he's going to say, is your neighbor are the people in the synagogue and temple that you go to and worship with. It's the Jews, it's the people of your own kind. That's who your neighbor is. I'm sure that's what Jesus is going to tell. This will clear this up. We'll, have to, we'll be able to quit worrying about this, and I will have so much better conscience about all this. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. You know, this, this is a way to pin Jesus down on this. So Jesus starts into the story. Jesus replies, as we heard earlier, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is an important thing. We'll get into a little technical detail of of Jewish customary, and I think this was interesting I read this week because I didn't know this myself. Jerusalem to Jericho, there's symbology in this because we're going to see in a few minutes a priest and a Levi are involved in this situation. Now, they had an out, okay? In Jewish customs, there were things that you could do or touch that would make you unclean. So if you were coming from where you were into Jerusalem to worship, You could do some activity that would make you unclean and unfit to go and worship, okay? Jesus, being as smart as he was, has already eliminated a variable here. The story says they were going away from Jerusalem. That means there was no excuse. They weren't going to do something that was going to make them unclean. They were going down to Jericho and away from the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus replied, they're going down to Jericho. The man fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's where we started our story at, okay? Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So, who were priests and Levites? These were the religious leaders of the time. Uh, today it would be a pastor, a pope. So I don't know what term—an elder, what what you want—a bishop. You know, there would be some terminology we would use. But in the Jewish religious system, you had priests and Levites, and then the, the the typical Jewish person. And we're going to see that plays an important part in this story in a moment. So, you know, this was supposed to be the cream of the crop as far as knowing what Jesus said to do. Now. I was joking last week. Since I'm teaching this week, I can get by with a lot of stuff. Mark's not here, you know. Better to ask forgiveness than permission, right? That's what I'm always told. So, what I said, we could illustrate this 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 particular concept. We're going to pretend that this is the Samaritan. You know, you're coming down, and you're the Jewish. You're the you're the priest, and you come by, and you say, ooh, And you walk around that. Yeah, I didn't even see that. Then you're the Levi, and you're walking by, and you come out. I did not even see that. And what I said my illustration would be is that some folks avoid Samaritans like y'all do, the offering bucket. <laughs> oh, that's See, I told you I would do it just because it's funny. No, that's not a plea for offering and stuff. It's just a fun thing. But that's what he was doing. They did not want anything to do with this. And we're going to take this up three times today if you don't believe it. No. <laughs> There's a funny story the band can relate to you about going to a church where they did that and Mark had to buy them all dinner because they shook them down three times for the offering. (laughs) We don't do that here. So if you're a guest, just kidding. But so you have these people that have come, the Levi and the priest, and they have avoided this Samaritan. So why did Jesus use this story? Jesus used this story to show that a person who the Jews despised was modeling loving his neighbor better than their own religious leaders were. That's where this story you know, if you're offended today, I hope so. I hope I'm going to bring something that offends you today because that's the gospel of Jesus is offensive to us in most cases. And it's not doing it to step on your toes or something. It's to make us self-reflect and think, I could be the person in this story and I need to check up on what I'm doing. In this story you have the, the priests, the Levites, the Jews, and then you have these despised, awful Samaritans over here. So in the culture of the day, the lawyer was expecting this answer from Jesus, I'm sure. He thought, well, the, you know, the priest walked by, the Levi walked by, but now you know who the hero of the story in the lawyer's eyes was going to be? It was going to be the average Jewish worshiper. The average Jewish citizen was going to come and do something that even the most religious of their religion didn't do, and it would make the Jews look good. Jesus just completely skips over them and goes straight to the Samaritans. You know, that's going to be offensive to you, isn't it? That's going to be, dude, really? A Samaritan. You're telling me that there was no Jew, no Levi, no priest that would stop and and help this guy, and that this lousy, sorry, jerk, horrible, half-breed person is the hero of your story. Jesus, what are you talking about? You know, why would you do this? There are a lot of things there that we need to examine as to why Jesus would teach this this way. You know, first of all, I like this. Mark said this in the very first week of teaching on parables. Here's what Mark said. What you believe is not as important as how your beliefs propel you to live. Do you think that, that the Levites, the priests, the Jews, and the lawyer knew what you were supposed to do in that situation? I think they did. I think they had a pretty clear understanding that when you go by this Samaritan, you're not supposed to pretend you didn't see him and walk by like this. But that's what, what they did. And that's the reason Jesus wanted to illustrate this story is we let some things influence our lives that shouldn't. How we love others reveals what our relationship is with God. Ooh, that hurts, doesn't it? So when you walk by that person in need, when you walk by the homeless guy out with his sign in Hickson, when you do these things, it reveals a little bit about what your relationship and your true nature is like, okay? And we're going to get into some really touchy things here, and I'm going to try and be fair to both sides today. This is not a debate about one side or the other, some prejudices that we hold, but I want you to, to objectively identify with some of this. The homeless guy. What are the responses to the homeless guy with the sign that you see? Give me the extremes. What do you think? Yells at him to get a job. job. Seen that one happen. What's the other one? Yeah. Uh, He's a drug abuser. It's one thing we hear on the extremes. But what about the other? The guy's down on his luck. Something's happened bad in his life. You should give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Then the response to that is what? Well, he'll take advantage of you. He'll go use that money to buy drugs with her. He'll go buy a beer. Funniest campaign we ever had in in Chattanooga was was the now infamous infamous radio personality, Jeff Stiles, who will attack your car with a tomahawk if you haven't read in the news in the past week. Jeff had a campaign called Beer for the Homeless. He said, the guy just wants a cold beer on a hot day, just buy him his beer and quit with all the nonsense. And they actually had a campaign until they found out it was probably slightly illegal and a few things like that. But his campaign was Beer for the Homeless. He had a different view of what it was like to be down your like than maybe some other people had. You know, until you talk to some of these people, you don't understand it. I've used my buddy Eugene as an example on, on occasions here. I met Eugene when we were back over at the warehouse in Hickson. He was out one Sunday morning. He was out sitting behind the, uh, I think it's Aaron's rental there in front of the warehouse. He was sitting out there, sitting on of in the Shade. It was about this time of year. It was hot. He was sitting here in the Shade. <laughs> He was sitting back there and he was, you know, just kind of resting looked like and he's an older guy. And I was kind of concerned about it. I thought, well, I'm gonna go over there and introduce myself, make sure he doesn't need anything, you know. And I wasn't gonna go put him up in a hotel or something. I got another story about that we can tell you. But I went out and talked to him and introduced myself and you know, how you doing and all. And I said, Well, you got enough to he said, I'm good. I said, and I looked over there and he has a can of chili sitting here. Thinking, well, I said, Well, are you sitting that out in the sun to warm that up? I'm thinking, bless his heart, you know, he's going to eat a can of, you know, sun-warmed chili for his meal. Well, no, that was not what happened. Eugene goes, and he has a backpack, kind of like Renee's got here, and he says, oh, no, no, I've got a Coleman stove, and he starts pulling out a stove and, and propane fuel. He said, oh, I cook all the time. He said, I'll go to Walmart and get me some food, and I'll grill it on the grill. I well, that's not what I was expecting from this guy. And we started striking up a conversation. We had had biscuits that morning, so I had a sausage biscuit with me. And I said, would you like a sausage biscuit? And he said, yeah, I'd like one. Thank you very much. And I said, would you like a bottle of water to go with it? He said, no, not thank you, not, not really. Would you buy me a Coca-Cola, though? <laughs> I mean, this guy's hilarious. And so we go over, and I, I go to the, the little uh, Walmart gas station out there, Murphy Oil, buy him a Coke, and we sit down out there and start chatting. This guy has jokes and stuff for days. He's a, he's a really hilarious gentleman when you get to know him. You can tell that there's some things that he may have some, some mental issues that would keep him from holding a job and probably has had for years. I mean, he starts telling jokes. How I many of you guys have seen geese fly over? Y'all seen that? And they fly in a V. Do you know how to tell when the geese fly over which side is longer? Do you all know that? It's the one with the most geese in it. Come on. And he just starts with these puns and stuff, and you'll see him. And so we built a relationship on that. Now, he still lives and stays in the Hickson area. He's smart. If it's too hot, he looks for a cool place. If it's too cold, he goes to one of the shelters. But he explained to me, he said, I've been living on the road for 10 years. This is how this man lives. I don't know if he gets a government check or any sort. He doesn't have an address. I don't know. He's maybe one of these guys that's falling through the cracks. He can be difficult to talk to because his mental faculties, I think he has some maybe onset early dementia type symptoms and things where he won't remember things because it will be hilarious. I will walk up to him and say, hey, Eugene, how you doing? What's going on today? And he'll, I'm 78 years old living on the street. And I said, Eugene, it's me, Scott. I, I'm a pastor at the church that you used to hang out by. Oh, oh yeah, now I remember you. And he, he drops his story. Because he's got the typical story that he's going to tell you. I'm 78 years old. I'm living on the street, and I hope you give me something. But you get beyond that, and you find out there's a person behind that. And that's the thing I want us to realize is we're talking through some of these difficult situations. There are people behind every situation that we're dealing with like that. So when you start and you go by... And Eugene has a little bit of an advantage because he is an elderly guy. He looks fairly feeble. He's probably in better shape than any of us because he walks in the 100-degree heat. He can probably, you know, run circles around most of us. But, you know, he's kind of hunched over and he's shuffling along, got his cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and he's got his little sign, please help, God bless. You're going to feel sorry for this guy. Now, if he's a young guy with a backpack on, he's got a hipster beard, and he's got his dog beside him, are you going to help him as likely? You're going to question what he's doing, aren't you? You know, we, we have so many prejudices that that drive us to do things we shouldn't do. You know, I want us to read this from Luke chapter 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Hmm, that might be homeless people too. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, look at who are identified in this. The gospel is to be proclaimed to people who may not look like us. They could be poor. They could be captives. They could be prisoners in our day. They could be blind. They could be oppressed. There are so many people that we have built-in prejudices against that could be one of these people. We've had a good little debate on my Facebook page this week. That, that happens sometimes, doesn't it, when I see something? I, and I don't like to rant on Facebook. I just like to post something and point out the truth of the situation. We had this guy on the, this week that one of my friends had posted is where I saw it, and he was ranting about people with tattoos, okay? And this is not going where you think it is. This guy is a heavily tatted U.S. veteran, served our country, and he's a Christian. And you know who he was ranting against? was church people. He was saying, you bunch of sorry hypocrites he said the bible tells you to judge by external appearances but you judge me because i have tattoos he had had a christian lady come up and tell him he would be a better christian if he didn't have those tattoos showing that that was something that you know he shouldn't have done and it hurts his testimony as a person well my response was i think i'm about the only staff member that doesn't have one at our church uh Now, we do think Mark, if you will read my Facebook page, be sure and ask him about this. He has a hidden tattoo of Celine Dion on him somewhere. (laughs) Y'all just don't see it, but he's got one. I posted a picture of it today, so if you want to go drive some traffic to my Facebook page, you can see that tattoo. It's very impressive, and I I don't know why he wouldn't proudly display that to you, you know. But, you know, tattoos, that's something in our society that we have either a positive or negative reaction to. The context of this was twofold. This was the initial conversation. And the guy that was doing the ranting says he's a Christian, but do you know who he was ranting against? He was ranting against the church. His response was, and if you think your church isn't like that, you're one of these people. You're wrong. Well, I surely hope you guys don't think that we judge you on your appearance here. Now, some of y'all look pretty bad. I mean, come on, you know, you know, we've got people from all walks of life. They've got tattoos. They don't have tattoos. They dress in dress pants and dress shirts. They don't. They wear polos. They wear the shirt tucked or untucked. They may wear a very lovely Hawaiian shirt. You know, we have all. T- yeah, talking about Josh. Where is Josh? Talking about ugly people. Did you just say that? <laughs> uh, you were not. You were not, Leslie. You'd be, I would be ashamed. Talking about one of our elders like that just because he's a big man with <laughs> tattoos and a Hawaiian shirt. You know, you know, I made a snort. That was my goal for the day. Um, <laughs> look at our elder. If you don't think appearances are a big deal today, a guy that comes in here is a giant man with a Hawaiian shirt on, tattoos missing a finger, and he's an elder here. You know, what more could you ask? You know, but that's serious. We're, we're serious about that. I'd say it in a joke. We don't care what you look like. Okay? That was this guy's point. There's no churches like that. My response is, yes, there are. I'm in one. What happens is he was ranting and doing the very thing he was ranting about. He was saying that all these people misjudge me. I'm right. You're wrong. And all churches are like this. Is there any difference in saying all people with tattoos are bad and all churches are judgmental? There's no difference in those two things. They're both judgmental based on your own personal prejudices. I'm sure this guy has been hurt by a church. And he is absolutely correct. There are crazy churches that will judge you so harshly on your appearance and things that you do, you would never go back to one. The problem is, guys, the church is who Jesus left on earth to represent him. Y'all realize that, don't you? The church is called the Bride of Christ. You know, Now, you may have relationships. There may be people in your life where you like the spouse, the husband, and don't like the bride. Okay, I get that. But how can you love this this Jesus person and not love the bride that he left behind to take care of you? And that's where this this really helped me focus this week on what our prejudices are and things. Because we think too highly of ourselves sometimes. We'll get into that in just a moment. But, you know, how we love others, you know, it's so important. You know, all these people that look different from us. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. The gospel has a social aspect to it that demands that we interact with people around us. Okay? Would you all agree with that? That we're not supposed to be this wholly set-aside people that come together in this private place once a week to worship and sing and hear a message about God, and then we don't do anything about it till next Sunday. That's not what Jesus intended for us to do. So we have to interact with those around us in society. That's where it gets difficult because our prejudices influence how we see society. I've illustrated a couple of them already. The homeless guy, he's a worthless guy. He's probably a drunk or an addict. He just needs to get a job, okay? People with tattoos, they're in this druggy subculture of people that you don't want to deal with. They're kind of, you know, you don't want to... You won't have any part of those people. They're not good people. They certainly can't be Christians because Leviticus tells you, do not cut or mark your skin. I've heard that argument used. That same passage of Scripture goes on to say, you're not supposed to trim the corners of your beard and you're not supposed to move. And Leviticus also tells you, you're not supposed to wear mixed fabrics like polyester and cotton or silk and cotton or all these crazy things. These were laws that God set up for the time. And those people that were marking their skin that were cutting their beards and doing these things, they were doing it as a religious ritual. They weren't doing it as a means of self-expression. It wasn't to show you something, this means something to me. This was because they were marking in their worship of the dead. It was a religious act they were doing. It had nothing to do with this. So popping scripture out of context is a horrible thing to do. But that's where these biases and prejudices that we have come from is when we don't truly see these people as our neighbors, even our enemies are our neighbors, and we don't see that today, that's what this story is about, is looking at the person you despise and seeing them in a different light, one of the other things that came about in the the thing about tattoos that I was posting this week was, somebody jumped in and said, well, the tattoos are okay, but I have a real problem with that if you're getting welfare, oh, So, you know, if you're receiving any sort of government assistance that comes out of my wallet, how dare you use any of that money for anything but the bare necessities? Guys, I don't know if any of you have ever been on government assistance or not. Dude, you do not live like royalty on government assistance. Let me just get that clear. I had a friend, John, that used to come to church here. He had food stamps and he had Social Security and things. He didn't have nothing. He would, He is now homeless, okay, to give you an idea of what happened. Because of some mental illness and issues that he had, he lost his home because he, he couldn't stay straight. He couldn't stay off the booze. He couldn't do the right thing. And the mental instabilities made him hard to function in society. But his house was paid for. The only thing he had to do was pay for his utilities. He had food stamps to pay for the food and stuff. I would go shopping with him, okay? I would teach him how to use, it was then the buy low bonus card before it was Food City, and I would show him how to shop to be able to feed himself somewhat off those food stamps. Yeah, John was going in, he was buying steaks and baked potatoes and, and soft drinks. No, if you bought one expensive item, that had to do you for three or four days, you're getting a couple of dollars a meal, y'all. How many of y'all could eat for $2 a meal all week long, every meal? It's not realistic. It's tough, uh, Renee. You, you, you raised some of you other ladies working fast food. How far will two dollars go in the fast food restaurant? Well, there, oh, so, so there you go. You need to work there. See if you people will get a job and get off welfare. <laughs> you can at least get your food half price. Come on. But no, seriously, it doesn't go far. And what I want to illustrate with this and the tattoos and everything else is John was living on government assistance. What was happening is in our society and stuff, he wanted the things that other people had. He wanted to be able to buy something. He, unfortunately, couldn't manage his money. His idea was, what I will do is I will eat all the food. I'll take what government check I get. I'll go buy a new $150 pair of Adidas shoes because of it, Jessica, and somebody from the church will come and help me with my food. That's what he did. He was taking advantage of some of us. He was doing this. There are people that will take advantage of you in these situations. You know, I was talking about, you know, the guy that's down out getting him a hotel room. A guy scammed Mark and I one time doing this. He was telling us he was a gang member, was trying to get out of a gang, and needed some help getting out of town. We looked. I ran his name through the criminal database, looked at who he was, looked at what was associated with him, looked at charges he had had, looked up news stories about him. And this individual, when I looked it all up, was a validated gang member. They had been involved in a gang shooting, and I'm sure there was a contract out on his life, and he was wanting to get out of the situation. Looked at him, looked like the mug shot, like, let's help this guy. I mean, if he's willing to better himself, his wife was going to come from out of town, was going to help him. Very similar story to the Good Samaritan. This guy was down, his luck. we want to help him, we want to be the church to this man. So we start helping him. He's going to get on a bus, or his wife's going to come get him, okay? We call him up. Well, what time is she going to be here? Well, she's going to be such a, Well, you said yesterday she'd be here by noon. Well, she got hung up. She couldn't get off work. Well, she's going to be here by three. I don't think she's going to make it today. We said, well, we'll put you up for one more night, I think it was. Okay, yeah. So the next day starts in. What time is she going to be Well, there's been a problem. We said, how about we just get you a bus ticket? Well, I don't really want to ride no bus. Really? You don't want to ride the bus? Why? We'll get you out of town. You think your life... I'll take you out to there, Mark, and I'll take you out to the airport, to the Greyhound station. We'll put you on the bus. I think he was saying he he needed to go to Charlotte and see what's going on. Well, this goes on for a few more hours or whatever. We get suspicious, and finally, the guy has checked out of the hotel down there, nowhere to be seen, okay? So we call him up. Mark kind of... He wouldn't answer Mark's calls, and he would ask mine because I'm the compassionate person on staff. Y'all just remember that when you need something. (laughs) Cause he kept, he would he would answer my phone call, and i finally i finally said, "Look, I figured out what's going on. What's your real name dude and he told me he was impersonating a known gang member, okay this is how stupid the guy is, okay? This is how desperate he is for money, and then I get his real name and run it, and he's been he has been arrested for false impersonation of people on multiple occasions, thinking really so you yeah, we got scammed by this guy. Our hearts were right in it. Do you think God honored what we did? I think he did because we knew what we were doing. But there are people that will take advantage of you. Now, when I see somebody, am I cautious still? Yeah. But I can't verify every story. And I don't want my testimony as a pastor here and as a Christian tarnished by the fact that, well, those people there won't help anybody. They only help people that look like them. They only help people that act like them. Now, why I would hate to be him because he did later get arrested and picked up on another charge. He had a warrant out for him, I found out. When they picked him up, how would you be like, like to be the guy that's been going around impersonating a valid gang member inside the prison with the gang members of the person you're impersonating? That doesn't ring like a really smart thing to do, but he did that. So this guy, so were all people scammers and my enemy? No. I can't say that everybody's like that because I don't want to discount the person that needs our help, that really needs something from us. Now, how many other things do we base prejudices on? Hmm? Things that you don't like. How many of y'all have Facebook? A lot of people in here have have it. How many of y'all watch the news? How many of you vote in elections? Okay, y'all have been inundated with this stuff then. Somewhere in your life you have seen who you're supposed to like and who you're not supposed to like, okay? This is where we're going to go with this, okay? If you are a conservative or you're a liberal, what was your reaction to those two things immediately? You you had some reaction. You thought something when I said those terms because you've been conditioned to think about them. When I said conservative, if you identify with that brand, you thought about We're the people that uphold law and order, working for a living, good things, Jesus, the church, rah, rah, amen. If you're on the other side, you identify them as evil people who will allow you to have a gun to kill all the children with and all these horrible things that you do and you're all about money and you don't understand anything that goes on socially in our country. Okay? Now, You identify with the liberal side of the coin. The negative image is you're all a bunch of tree-hugging hippies who don't earn a living. You live in your mom and dad's basement, and you sit here and type on Facebook all day. That's who you liberals are. A better common term for you is snowflakes. I have no idea where that one comes from, but you're a snowflake. You're a horrible person. On the other side, you're a Trumper. Now, if you have not identified with that side of politics, you believe that you're the only compassionate people that care about the earth or anything else. You know, when we look at the stories that Jesus sees, people like to identify him with their own flavor of religion and politics. Have y'all have y'all figured that out yet? Okay, if you're on the conservative side, Jesus is the guy that tells you to uphold the law. I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And if you don't work, you don't eat. And if you sin, you need to pay the price for it. Okay, that's the way it is. You think that that's the way Jesus is. If you're on the other side. You think that Jesus was a compassionate, loving individual that never had any rules, and if he did, he showed grace towards those that broke those rules, and we should all be more like Jesus. Guys, we're looking at the furthest extremes of everything when we talk like this, and that's where our prejudices come from in this nation, and it's what's destroying us in all honesty. You know, we see Jesus here. When we talk about the parables, and this is the church's fault. This isn't society's fault. This is the church's fault. As we see Jesus is a, you know, he looks like, for some of you older folks, what I do, he looks like George Harrison from the Beatles with his long hair and sandals on, and he's, and he's teaching about peace, hope, and love. That's who Jesus is. Jesus did talk about those things. Jesus also turned over tables in the temple and ran people out with a whip. You notice that? We try and put God in a box, and we try and put our thoughts about people around us in a box, and we let those prejudices influence our Christianity. Do you realize how abhorrent that is to God? We're the half-breeds. We're the Samaritans now. We're the people that don't worship the true God because what we're doing is we're letting our prejudices and the things that we want to see for ourselves influence what we do to the point that we forget about what God would have us do. That's pretty serious, isn't it? And if you are ever on Facebook, if you ever see an election ad or anything, you will see these things. If you vote for this candidate, this candidate supports this. Okay. Here's the issue. Current issue is immigration, right? If you vote for the Republican candidate, you support somebody. You know, if I don't, if I'm a conservative and don't like you as another conservative, you support illegal aliens. I, they come from outer space. I don't know. They're illegal aliens. You voted to give them driver's licenses. <gasps> They live on welfare. They're taking the money out of your paycheck. Your taxes go to support those horrible people that crossed our border illegally. Well, first of all, that's not true. Welfare, you can't get that without being a United States citizen or in a special program. They don't just hand out checks to you and say, oh, here you go. You came in illegally. Here, give me, uh, here's some money for you. Here's some money for you. Money for you. Now, okay, that doesn't happen. But if you're on the other side of the political fence, you look at the issue of immigration as, you conservatives are the horrible, horrible people that are separating little bitty kids from their parents at the border. Are we doing that? Yeah, absolutely we are. And if you allow either of your political views to override what you as a Christian should feel in those situations, you're worshiping a God other than our God, okay? You're worshiping, you're a half-breed worshiper. You have gods other than the true God when you can look and not have compassion for your enemy. Scripture is telling us we're supposed to love that enemy. Love him as we love ourselves. How many of y'all would be upset if your kids were taken from you for an offense you committed here? How many of, y'all, how many of you guys would go absolutely berserk? Every mom in the room just about raised her hand except for my wife. Which, Allison, that should tell you something. <laughs> 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 oh, I couldn't see. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, mom, if you didn't raise your hand, you've had a bad day today already probably. <laughs> You're so hoping that he's not about to finish up because I'm going to have to go pick them up. And they've been terrible this morning. No, we, we, we get these things that, that we ingrain in us and it, and it hurts us. You know, we don't, the, the worst response I have seen from Christians on this issue is the fact that they say, and I am about to, to wrap up here for you guys from the band to, to go go about your business, um, we, as Christians I have seen, say this. Well, those parents knew what they were doing with, that it was illegal, and they should pay the price for it. Whoa, really? Really. You want to make a kid suffer because the parent made a mistake. That's really is a Christian, what you're telling me. These people are enough of an enemy and a threat to you that you are okay with their children being stripped from them and separated from them with maybe little hope of being reunited. If that is your view, that is not a Christian view, I can tell you. I don't care where your politics are, what you think. If you think that separating families like that is a good thing because it's the law, I want to remind you of something. How many of you ever told a white lie? Most familiar person of the Jewish law that we're familiar with is what the, what are they, the The 10 suggestions, right? The 10 suggestions, you see them on courthouses and things. They're little suggestions that God made about how you should live your life, right? One of them is in the old King James, it says, don't bear false witness. Or that's called lying, isn't it? Well, now we enjoy that part of our lives so much we have graded them. You have white lies, and you have bald-faced lies, and you have this lie. What if God held us responsible like we want to hold others responsible? How would that work? Ooh, that's not going to be good, is it? Did you just use my name in vain in morning rush hour traffic? I think I saw that. Punishment right then. I'm going to take your kids away for that. You know what? I'm gonna let your kids die in a car accident because you didn't obey me. Does that sound good and loving to you? Does that sound like what a loving God would do? No, it doesn't. And that's the reason if we're going to pattern ourselves after a loving God, people need to see it in our relationships with those around us. And that's the biggest point of the story of the good Samaritan is we get so wrapped up in how important we are. You know, who do you hate? The Jews hated the Samaritans. Who do you hate today? I will assure you there is somebody that, that has crossed your path that you don't identify with their ideologies, their religion. There is something that you don't identify with. You know, you know, the thing that I really think is interesting about this whole story of the Samaritan, notice Jesus never mentioned a word about the Samaritan not worshiping the true God. He never went there in this passage. He never went there. That was not important to his illustration. He was illustrating our own faults our own prejudices our own things that we're not doing right you know i love this how many of y'all listen to tv or radio preachers anybody listen to those anymore there's a few few folks that do that used to be more popular i think than it is today i have a favorite and here's a quote from him he says americans don't have a problem with self-esteem they already think too highly of themselves that's from the Reverend Billy Ray Collins of the Sword of Joshua, Independent, Full Gospel, Pentecostal Assembly, just off the State Road, 23 on the Frontage Road. Anybody ever listen to John Boy and Billy on the radio? Yeah, some of y'all are laughing. You know who this is? This is their fictional character they use that I swear has better theology than most TV and radio preachers I hear today. He's right on target because you know what? We as American citizens are so high on our individual rights in ourselves as a person and our self-esteem and what matters to us and our freedoms, that we would use that to trump God's word when it concerns somebody else. That's what he's saying. He's saying we don't have a self-esteem problem. We already think too much of ourselves. That's what Jesus was illustrating with this this story. It wasn't that who your neighbor was, he was saying, you guys already are so wrapped up on your in your own religion and trying to worry about technically who your neighbor is, you've lost sight of the big picture. And that's what he was trying to show them, was that you guys who should know what to do didn't do it, whereas this person over here who you consider a half-breed who has corrupted the worship of the true God at least knew how to treat other people. That's what God's whole point in this was. It wasn't that you should just be good to people in need. Yeah, that's part of the story, but the real story was examining your own life and seeing if you are letting your prejudices keep you from showing the gospel to the poor, the oppressed, all those people that we mentioned earlier. If you have something in your life today that is a block between you and God concerning those people, if you don't love them as you love yourself, you need to check up this morning. That's the reason Jesus had these parables. It was to intentionally step on people's toes. Jesus was a master at presenting these things in a story form that you'll remember. You guys will remember this story. Many of you remembered it from childhood. Jesus told this story in a simple format. So when we run across these situations, we can think, what would the good Samaritan have done in this situation? In this particular one, what would he do with a homeless person? What would he do with a, you know, Let's say we're at a political rally downtown. We, we have some political rallies now. Our, our city has become progressive enough to actually entertain ideas that may not be their own. What if you go to the political rally down here and there's a clash between these two groups? One, is, one supports law enforcement and one doesn't. The one that doesn't support law enforcement gets beaten. These guys gang up. Saw it happen in Charlottesville. They gang up on this guy and beat him within any inch of his life and leave him laying there. Are you going to just go over there and help that person or are you going to say well you should support law and order that's what happens to you. That's what the story of the good Samaritan is about. It's those people that we don't identify with politically, religiously, you know, socially that take that person and have compassion on them and do the right thing. That's what the lesson of the good Samaritan is about loving your neighbor. And your neighbor is who? Who's your neighbor? everybody's your neighbor. Whether you agree with them or not, you're supposed to love them. So let's close with that. Father, I want to thank you for this day, your blessings, God. I want to thank you for all you do for us. Lord, thank you for this message of the Good Samaritan and the deeper meaning in it, God. God, we are, as a society and as a church, as a whole, we get this wrong so many levels, God, that we're just not showing compassion towards each other. And it's not limited to one side of a political party or other, god it's, it's us as a people lord as your people uh, people that identify as following jesus christ lord just pray that you will help us this week as we see situations that we'll take a step back from those things when we're showing hatred instead of love towards others god and if we can't you know say the right things god we'll just remove ourselves from the conversation till we can lord because right now we're destroying your church with our actions, God, and we realize that. And, and, and Lord, I pray that we all, including myself, we need to repent of this, God. We need to be aware of how we treat our enemies, Lord, and we need to love these people, God. Just pray that you'll help us to do that this week as we interject ourselves into these situations, God. That you will bless us and help us to remember this story, and remember we serve a kingdom not of this world, and all the things that we fret so much about, Lord, are only temporary. And we need to be working towards the goal of your kingdom and not making our own. And Lord, we just pray these things in your name. Amen.